Every week we spend time opening up scripture together and looking at God's word because we believe that this is one of God's really good gifts to us as his people and that he's um, faithful to address us, uh, to disclose himself to us um, week after week, day after day as we um, go back to this deep well. And so, yeah, we're... And you, you know this, like, I, this is not me up here speaking before you. Like, this is me trying as best as I can to come under God's word with you and to, um, to let it change me like we, we pray it will change us all. Um, we've been in Psalm 23, and let's read this one more time together all the way through. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you might remember this. Um, I think I shared this years and years ago, but when I was in preschool, uh, probably maybe five years old, uh, I, was, I was in the class one day and our teacher was a wonderful teacher and she would always put out these amazing things on the shelves that lined the classroom walls and my, my eyes fell on a prism and it was catching the light from the window and it was sending like these beautiful rays all over the place, and I just knew in that moment that this was like one of the most pre- precious jewels on the planet, and that it had to be mine. <laughs> and and so I stole it, and I, I just I walked by and I took it right off the shelf, and I stuck it in my little pocket, and I didn't tell anyone. And I went home and I didn't tell anyone, and I stuck it in a box. And then I hid that box under my bed in the darkness. And I was hiding the prism. Uh, but you know this, like, I was really kind of hiding a part of myself. Um, because I didn't, like, I didn't want to know what I had done to be known. Um, like, already, like, instantly, I, I was ashamed of myself. Um, and I, I didn't want anyone to know that Little five-year-old Kevin is a thief. Uh, And I I think what was going on in in my little heart is that, like, like, I was afraid that if I were to be known in that way, I would be rejected. Uh, Like, I was afraid that if people knew I was Kevin the stealer of prisms, well, then uh, I wouldn't really be loved. But I also knew that, like, uh, by hiding what I had done and hiding that part of myself, I could never really trust that I was loved. 
like not fully. Um, because maybe, maybe all the people around me just loved the Kevin who, as far as they were concerned, would never steal a prism. How would I know that they loved the real Kevin, the stealer of prisms? See, this is, a, this, is, this is troubling, isn't it? I mean, I think that on some level that kind of tension is still going on in me kind of all the time. Um, like, I know that in order for the real me to be loved, the real me needs to be known, and I also kind of dread that. And I want to hide parts of myself away in little boxes in the darkness. Um, I wonder if you have that tension in you. I wonder if you wrestle with that. So we've been looking for, what is this? This is our fifth week, looking at Psalm 23. It's, it's one of the most famous psalms. It's one of the most familiar of all psalms. And we're trying to learn it by heart. Not just to have it memorized, not just to be able to say the words, but to really like, take it in so that, we, so that the truth of it transforms us and changes us. And we, and we know how to like, live on the basis of the reality of what this psalm is just declaring and confidently expressing to be true. Um, so it, it gives us this picture of what it looks like to live with the Lord as our shepherd and, and therefore remember to live with everything that we really need. I mean, that's, that's what it means to have the Lord as our shepherd is that we, we live a life without lack. We have everything we really need. And so uh, what have we seen? We've seen that this good shepherd, he feeds us and he leads us and he protects us. And um, this morning, I, wanna, I want us to just focus in on something that we've been touching on week after week all along. Uh, and we'll just look at it directly. In addition, in addition to doing all of those things, leading, feeding, protecting, um, kind of beneath that and behind all of it, our good shepherd loves us. He loves us. Um, and... I don't, I don't know where all of you are this morning, um, but I know that beneath and behind every need you think you have is this need to be loved by your good shepherd, to be known and loved by this one. Um, that's your deepest need, and our psalm just kind of like boldly, joyfully declares the need is met like it's not something you have to go out searching for. It's actually something that comes searching for you. Um, and so uh, this is going to be like maybe the simplest sermon I've ever preached. Maybe the shortest, I hope, you hope. Uh, we'll see. Um, but, but here it is. Um, God knows you. And God is pursuing you with a tireless, unswerving love. That's it. And if you get that, you get the whole sermon. But we're going we're gonna to dig into it just a little bit. Because our psalm shows us both of these things. It shows us first that God knows us. Okay? We've seen David express this confidence from the very beginning. Right? He takes, he takes this metaphor of shepherd, which is a pretty common metaphor uh, throughout the Old Testament. Um, but usually in the Old Testament, it's applied to God and God's people. God is the shepherd of Israel, and David has the audacity to make it personal, to make it individual, to say, you are my shepherd. Um, 
like the Lord isn't merely the shepherd of God's people. He's my shepherd. He's not merely the shepherd of a flock. He is the shepherd of this particular sheep and, and, and this particular sheep and this particular sheep. When David says the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying that the Lord knows him and that the Lord is attentive to him, um, not just because he's an image bearer, as, as wonderful and glorious as that is, like not just because he's part of God's good creation, not just because he's part of the people of God, the nation of Israel, uh, but, that, but because he's David. Because he's David. Uh, this is a shepherd who knows his flock and not as some like indistinguishable collection of sheep, but as individual beloved sheep. And so this is, this is all wrapped up in the shepherding metaphor itself. Um, back then, at least, I don't know, I don't know uh, much about how shepherding works today, but back then, at least, from what I've read, at least, uh, shepherds knew their sheep. Um, some shepherds even gave their sheep names and could identify them by name, call them by name. Um, Kenneth Bailey, he shares this story. This is a little long, but I'll just read it. He says, during the riots in Palestine in the middle 30s, a village near Haifa was condemned to collective punishment by having its sheep and cattle sequestrated by the government. The inhabitants, however, were permitted to redeem their possessions at a fixed price. Among them was an orphan shepherd boy whose six or eight sheep were all he had in the world for life and work. Somehow he obtained the money for their redemption. He went to the big enclosure where the animals were pinned offering his money to the British sergeant in charge. The NCO told him he was welcome to the requisite number of animals, but he ridiculed the idea that this little orphan shepherd boy could possibly pick out his sheep from among the confiscated hundreds. Just like all these animals that have been taken from all these different families and all these different shepherds that are just crammed together in this pen. The little shepherd thought differently, because he knew better, for he had his shepherd's pipe with him. Now, apparently this is a thing. Uh, shepherds have their pipe that gives a particular tone or particular melody. I don't know exactly how it works. But the kid went up, and he just stood over these hundreds and hundreds of sheep. Remember, like, six or eight are his, and he begins to play. Man, Jeremy should have invited you to like play a little flute for us. Uh, he begins to play his flute, his piccolo maybe, I don't know, some kind of thing. And his sheep just come right out. Um, giving his call, his own sheep separated from the rest of the animals and trotted out after him. He was able to identify his sheep by calling them and they responded and he says, oh yeah, I recognize these, these are mine. Um, you remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus said this, I know my own, my own know me. So our shepherd doesn't merely see a flock. He doesn't merely see units in a flock, you know, like sheep number one, sheep number 36, sheep number 39. No, our good shepherd, like he knows us. He calls us. But how deep, we might wonder, does that knowledge go? How well does our good shepherd know us? Well, let's stick with David. In another of his psalms, Psalm 139, you'll remember, he says some remarkable things about the knowledge of God. Listen, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. It's like our shepherding God just knows us through and through. Uh, in, in fact, remember what Jesus said. He, when he's talking about being the good shepherd, he, he says not only that he knows us, but that he knows us as what? He knows us as the Father knows him, and as he knows the Father. So here you have the Son of God saying that he knows us just as, like with the same depth of knowledge, that the Father knows him and that he knows the Father. And, I mean, I'm like an amateur theologian, but I figure, like, the Father and Son's knowledge of each other is fairly deep and rich and, um, like, all-knowing. This is, this is how our Good Shepherd knows us, with that kind of closeness and intimacy and depth. Psalm 139 again, David says this, You formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So, so when does God's knowledge of us start? Like, really early. Right there at the beginning. Think, David is thinking about the beginning of his own life, and he traces his beginning back to um, his formation in his mother's womb, where God knit him together. And he, he's saying that his life and his life with God began right there. It began right there in his mother's womb. Um, but God doesn't just know the beginning of our lives. David goes on to declare, "In your book were written every one of, them. in your book were written every one of them all the days that were formed for me." So he's saying, um, it's not just that like God knows my beginning. He's saying that God, like right now, also knows my end. Uh, from the from the very beginning. To the very end, God knows me. At one end of our lives is conception, and David says to God, you're the one who knitted me together in my mother's womb. You've known me from the very beginning. But then what about the end of our life when we're like, you know, we're starting to go gray, some of us more so than others. We're all going to get there, though, right? But some of us have some gray hair. And, and some of us, like our bodies are just starting to, uh, starting to get creaky, old. They're, not, they're kind of betraying us. Um, uh, what, like our minds that used to be so reliable and we could remember things, it's like, oh, well, now we have to wrestle and search and sometimes we just can't find the word. And, and David is saying, God knows us there and then, and those days are ordained for us just as the beginning ones were. Um, he knows the end. Like, do you see, family, how comprehensively this shepherding God knows us from the very beginning to the very end. I mean, you don't know, you, you don't remember um, God knitting you together in your mother's womb, do you? You don't remember that. But God remembers that. He remembers forming you. Um, you don't know what your last day will be or what your last day will be like. But God knows. He, his, his knowledge of us is that thorough. From the very beginning to the very end, you are known through and through by this shepherding God. Um, he knows you better than you know yourself. Like, way, way better 
than you know yourself. Um, some of us spent yesterday um, at an event where we were just receiving some wonderful instruction and teaching from Dr. Diane Lingberg. And, and one of the things I took away from that, one of many things, is that we have such a um, capacity to deceive ourselves. To think that we know ourselves when we don't know ourselves at all, and as a result of that, to do great harm to one another. But um, but the point here is that like we don't know ourselves. We have a shepherding God who knows us through and through, through and through. I wonder though, like, what do you do with that? Like, does that make you trust God more or less? Uh, do you want to be known that thoroughly? Or do you resist it? And do you want to take parts of yourself and put them in your pocket? And then put them in a box and then slide them under the bed? Like, does God's knowledge of you make you want to come close to him? Or does it make you want to run away and hide? So there's a second point to this sermon. You remember, I told you what they were going to be. God knows you. And God is pursuing you with this like tireless, relentless, unswerving love. Um, look again at verse 6 of our psalm. Surely, David says... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's, um, you could translate it, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. They'll chase me. They'll just, they'll be relentless in their pursuit of me all the way to the very end. Now, um, goodness and mercy. These render two Hebrew words, tob and hesed sure there's a right way to pronounce those in Hebrew, and that's not it, but those are the Hebrew words. And goodness is a great way to translate tob. It's, um, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the Hebrew word hesed is, is trickier. It's, it's more difficult to bring across into English with just one word. And so um, we get lots of different words that bring it across in the Old Testament. I mean, sometimes as here, for whatever reason, mercy was, was chosen, and that kind of works, but it's just, anytime you pick one word, you're missing the richness of the Hebrew word hesed. Uh, it's a word that connotes love and generosity and enduring commitment. Um, and so, if you were here for the call to worship, uh, you'll remember we read part of uh, Psalm 136, and it has, um, kind of that relentless refrain um, for his steadfast love endures forever. 26 times that psalm declares something that God has done and then why? For his steadfast love endures forever. Um, and that is simply saying his hesed. His hesed goes on and on and on. Just It doesn't stop. Um, so steadfast love I think is a great translation, maybe loyal love, dependable love, unswerving love. Uh, this, is, this is love of one who makes promises to rescue and redeem and then keeps those promises no matter what. It's the love of one who is uh, just 
absolutely tireless in seeking out and saving his lost sheep. And so you remember Jesus told a story. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And the thing that's weird about Jesus telling this story is that like anyone who knew anything about shepherding at that moment would have said, no, <laughs> like that's not what we do. Um, when we have 99 sheep and there's one that goes way off, we don't leave the 99 sheep. And the reason we don't is obvious, right? Like because um, 99 are more valuable than one. And if we leave the 99 to go find one, um, we could lose our livelihood. We could lose our lives. Like, that would be so risky. So risky to do that. But Jesus says, like, isn't that what a good shepherd does? Just, he, he's so attentive to the one that he goes out, even at great risk to himself, to bring the one back. And then he calls in his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Um, Jesus is, is asking us to imagine a shepherd who doesn't play it safe, um, but who, like, because the safe thing to do is to say, okay, you just count, count, the sheep is lost. It's lost, but I still got 99. That's safe. But this is, this is a shepherd who doesn't play it safe, and so he goes out at considerable risk to himself. And, and why? Because not only are, is he leaving the sheep unprotected, but he's, like, going out into a place where there are certainly thieves and outlaws and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. <laughs> when a shepherd goes out after a lost sheep, there's always a chance that the shepherd doesn't come back. But Jesus is making a point about Hesed. He's saying, this is what Hesed does. This is what um, the tireless, unswerving love of our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God does pursues, goes out, doesn't stop. And so he's saying there is a good shepherd who sees the cost, who understands the cost, and who goes out anyway. Last week we talked about how sheep are um, the most defenseless of all animals, and so they need protection, right? They don't have fangs, they don't have claws, they don't have speed, um, they're, they're defenseless without the shepherd. Um, also, though, they were, they were the most valuable of all the animals. Um, I mean, that's why thieves were always trying to steal sheep, because you could get a lot of money for a sheep. Uh, pound for pound, sheep were the most valuable of all the animals. And, and so a shepherd's wealth wasn't measured by money in his bank account. It was measured by what? Sheep in his flock. Yeah, got a lot of sheep. I'm, I'm, I'm a rich shepherd if I have a lot of sheep. Um, the sheep are the shepherd's treasure. The shepherd is in it for the sheep. And so do you see what Jesus is saying? Like He's saying that as the good shepherd, he knows us and he loves us. Like he knows us and we're his treasure. Um, why does he protect the sheep? Why does he go after the one that strays? Because, he's, because he is embodying the Hesed love of God. 
Hesed love is about God making and keeping his promises to rescue and redeem. Um, you remember, we, I think the first week of this little series, we looked at this passage, but one of the promises that God makes in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel, where God says this. He says, and he, he's, he's making a promise when he says this. He says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. We have this tension in our hearts, don't we? Like we, we, treat, we treat knowledge and love like a pie chart, right? Like you only get, you only get so much. You get, you get 360 degrees, and part of that can be knowledge, and part of that can be love. But what happens? The more knowledge there is, the more knowledge of us, the less love. We worry about this. The more love there is can only mean there's less knowledge. And, and we think fully known and fully loved oh, doesn't seem possible. And we have this shepherding God who comes to us as Jesus Christ and he says two things. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. You remember if he says that? And he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. He says both of those things, like right next to each other in the same paragraph. He knows his sheep, and he loves his sheep to the point of laying down his life for us. When Jesus gave himself for you on the cross. Who do you think it was who he saw? Mary? <laughs> this is so great. This reminds me of the good old days where I could never ask a rhetorical question at Christ Pres without getting, a, without getting an answer. Um, those, those are, yeah, he did see them. And he saw you. He saw you. Yes. And... Um, he saw, he saw like little Elias, and he saw, um, man, he saw little five-year-old Kevin, right, with the prism hiding under his bed, and 43-year-old 40, Kevin with uh, all kinds of junk just swirling around in his heart on a regular basis, and and he saw you, and he saw like. Uh, Like, not the untarnished version of yourself that you, you put up, right? Like, not the Instagram you with all the sadness cropped out. Uh, um, like, he, he saw just you, the real you. And that's the you that he said, yes, that's, that's the you I'm bringing back. That's the you I'm going out for. That's the you... 
I'm laying down my life for Jesus. The real you, the only you there is, the real you is the one that Jesus saw when he was on the cross. Um, it's complete knowledge and it's perfect love. I know my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. And so David says, surely this goodness and this hesed will pursue me no matter what and just keep pursuing me all the days of my life. And when those days come to an end, family, um, his goodness and his hesed love, um, it's going to keep holding you. And it's going to hold you through the dark valley of your death. Um, and then what does the psalm say? It's going to restore your soul. It's going to bring your life back. And then he's going to lead us in green pastures and beside still waters. And he'll prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies who have already done their worst to him and they failed. And so we'll feast with our good shepherd in the new heavens and the new earth. And he'll um, fill our cups. Like more than we can imagine. Just fill them to overflowing. And we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the promise of this song. And in the meantime, there's an invitation, isn't there? Like, we don't have to wait to know this good shepherd, to experience his goodness and his mercy and his kindness and his love. Like there's an invitation, I think, maybe to stop running and to stop hiding and to turn around. And what will we see? We'll see what's following us. It can be scary to be followed, can it? But it's not scary when you're pursued by goodness and mercy. Oh, it's question time. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm glad that you asked that because I, I, I know that I've told that story before, but I've never told this part of the story. So, I kept, did you hear the question? Do I still have the prism that I stole? And you wish I did, didn't you, don't you? Because it was beautiful. It was so sparkly. Um, this thing, um, I kept this hidden under my bed for years. And it was, um, and it was like slowly killing me. Um, I get emotional about it because it's like, it's one of my earliest experiences of um, just the, the goodness and mercy of God pursuing me because he wouldn't, like God would not let me have any peace about that. I'd come home from school like several years later and I would just think, ah, it's under my bed. Um, Well, it's a short sermon, so I can tell this story. <laughs> um, and so one day, I, um, 
I, I didn't know what to do, right? Like, I'm just like, ah, what do I do with this thing that I've hidden? And, and the longer it was hidden, the harder it felt. Like, how do I deal with this? And I, um, I, I have parents who are good parents and who love me, and I trusted that. And so I told them, um, I told them what I did. And it was awkward to do that because it's like, I need to tell you something that I did when I was like five. And at the time that I told them, I was probably like seven or eight. You know, it's like embarrassing. And they just, I remember they sat there on my bed with me and they listened to me. And, um, and then at some point, I don't, I don't remember if it was my dad or my mom, I think it was my dad. He just suggested, well, Kevin, would it help you to feel better if you gave this back, if you returned the prison, and if you apologized um, to the principal of the school, who was actually a friend of my parents. And, um, and, I, and I thought, oh, that would be like the worst thing ever. Like, that would be so, that would be so horrible to do that. But, but I also knew that would help. Like, that would help me to kind of, like, come clean and just see, like, maybe the principal would be mad, maybe not. I didn't really know. But um, my, my dad drove me to his house. His name is Rich Lang. And I remember my dad waited in the car. I think he had called beforehand to tell Rich that I was coming. And I walked this, like, long, just felt like it was miles and miles of um, walking up the sidewalk to their front door. And, man, it took, like, all the courage I have to ring that doorbell. And, and Rich was ready, and he opened the door, and he greeted me. And um, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but, I mean, he, he basically just said, you have something. Um, that's mine, and I said, yeah, I do, and I might have cried a little bit, as you can tell, like, I, sometimes I cry, uh, and I told him I was sorry, <laughs> and he just gave me a hug, and that was that, and I was, you know, and he forgave me, but it was like, it was this, um, we fear, don't we, that when we bring out the prism from under our beds, the story's not going to go like that. Like, we will be condemned. We will be turned away. We will be cast off. And family, it's just not true. Do you know that? It's just not true. Like, the thing that we fear will happen when we're known uh, isn't what will happen. So I, w I don't have it anymore. <laughs> They're, they're not valuable at all. They're pieces of glass. You can get one for like a nickel. <laughs> if I find one, I'll, I'll bring it to you. <laughs> um, let's pray, and then let's come to this table.